Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Expeditors Podcast, where you can hear about front-of-mind topics in the logistics and freight forwarding industry through the lens of a global logistics provider. I'm your host, Chris Parker, and today we'll be talking about what's going on in the aviation industry and the adjustments that had to be made to survive the pandemic. We'll be talking about new developments and changing their products and therefore their logistics needs, and finally getting into a personal favorite of mine, space. Because that's really cool. So joining me today is the director of the Aviation and Aerospace Vertical, the one and only Marie Berner. Marie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Chris. I feel like I should be dancing across the stage after that introduction. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I could be dancing across the stage. You wouldn't know. (laughs) That is the beauty of a audio only format. Um, (laughs) So, Marie, could you tell me and help other folks get to know you a little bit more? uh, What do you do as director of Aviation and Aerospace Vertical? Well, I have been in this role about 10 years, 26 mm-hmm. years with expediters. Nice. Uh, but like you, I'm a little bit of a, a space nut. And I think uh, it comes from way back in the day. I grew up in uh, in Florida and mm-hmm. I was uh, I'm old enough to remember some of the first Apollo launches. My dad wow. worked uh, on the Apollo program. So I think it got into my blood very early in my life uh, back when I I was in grade school watching some of those rocket launches and being being on the on the cape itself during some of those uh programs that is super super cool <laughs> that had uh-huh. been an incredible experience to be there for uh in yeah person so that so happen. taking that from grade school yeah. and fast forwarding now to uh my career uh I, I say to my boss at times, I probably shouldn't put this in a podcast, but I'm not sure why they pay me uh, because this has got to be the coolest job I've yeah. ever had, uh, you know, from the beginning of, you know, production, when you talk about what is a, you know, in the aviation industry, you know, we, we talk about, you've got from O-rings to jet fighters, you have, and, and everything in between, whether it's the parts that are being manufactured, the manufacturers themselves, the folks who do repairs, as well as the folks that are, you know, buying the planes and, and allowing us to fly on them. Yeah. So every part of the that supply chain mm-hmm. is what we're involved in for aviation logistics. Um, to start off, let's talk about kind of the ground for aviation vertical. Uh, could you help me understand what that means and you know what needs do they have and kind of how wide is the array of goods that aviation moves? So aviation, as I said, you know, covers everything from raw materials Mm -hmm. uh, to the actual parts uh, for manufacturing. Um, We've even handled uh, we had an AOG at one time aircraft on ground situation where we needed to get pretzels from (laughs) one city to another. Um, People say, why would you worry about pretzels? Well, you know, in the U.S., there are penalties if you don't have enough food Mm. on an aircraft for the number of passengers. And you can't just go down the street to Walmart or Publix and buy pretzels. (laughs) Um, They have to be an FAA approved supplier. So um, there are definitely, you know, um, and when you talk about that, an actual aircraft itself, um, you know, a typical commercial aircraft could be over 600,000 parts that go into that manufacturer. And then on top of it, you've got hundreds of suppliers. And especially, you know, since this, our COVID experience that we've had, the supply chain disruptions, we've heard so much more about, you know, we need to nearshore our sourcing. 
but it's, you know, it's not something that you can just flip a switch mm -hmm. and get a supplier mm -hmm. um, closer to the manufacturing location. So um, the the complexities, the geographical uh, nature that aviation has evolved over the years, uh, I definitely know that there are, are a lot of people talking about improving that supply chain by near sourcing as an example, mm -hmm. uh, by having uh, digitally printed parts is another thing we're seeing, but it, it cannot happen overnight. It's a much yeah. longer process to happen. Gosh, absolutely. That's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So let's go ahead and discuss what's happened in the aviation industry kind of over this last year, right? So because of reduced passenger flights, like there was a big impact on global air freight and I'm not sure most people outside of logistics and shipping would know that there's a lot of air freight that moves as what we call belly freight or is it in the space underneath passenger flights. And I imagine there's a lot of more to that picture. And I was wondering if you could talk about the changes that the industry had to make uh, when it came to grounding and servicing their planes. Well, first of all, uh, I remember when we first started to hear about COVID, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I famously said to our team, you know, don't worry about it. It's a flu. We get flu every year. Mm. Um, so I always say, if you see me in a TSA line or at the grocery store or hear my predictions about uh, global pandemics, you probably want to go in the other lane. <laughs> um, so similar, uh, you know, when we when we first started to hear about COVID and mm -hmm. that, you know, we were limiting the number of people flying and, and the international traffic started to slow down. Um, I don't think anybody in the industry expected the impact that we were we eventually saw, which was that about two thirds of commercial aircraft were grounded. Wow. Uh, you know, that's more than 16,000 planes yeah. that needed a place to be parked. That's insane. And like overnight too, almost. <laughs> overnight, yeah. exactly. Yeah, you know, we, we talk about the fact that, uh, you know, these planes, and you can't just park a plane. Right. It has, it's just like I have a, a vintage convertible. And mm -hmm. when I park it, during the winter, uh, because I'm not going to drive that convertible in Chicago and uh, <laughs> a couple of feet of snow, uh, I have to prep the engine. I have to prep the tires. Same thing with an aircraft, yeah. only exponentially more complex. Right, right. Uh, and so many of these aircraft were parked in the desert. So they had to have, you know, any any intake uh spot on that plane had mm. to be protected from winds, from sand, from critters getting inside. <laughs> uh, you have to rotate the tires, just like my, my vintage car. You can't leave it in one place for six months. You have to rotate those tires. Otherwise, mm. they get that flat spot. So there is a tremendous amount of, of maintenance that had to happen as that uh, those planes began getting parked. Mm -hmm. uh, so what the impact of, of having 16,000 aircraft taken out of the supply chain. Uh, so yes, uh, when you are flying on your, your summer vacation flight and you're, you know, asked to pay whether it's $50 or hundred dollars nowadays for, you know, your extra bag. The reason that is the airline is trying to disincentivize you mm -hmm. from bringing too many bags. Uh, and the reason is they utilize that space uh, to move cargo. Yeah. And so then two thirds of the fleet goes out of circulation uh, that had a tremendous impact on the amount of cargo uh, that 
could be moved. Mm -hmm. And just as you know, that capacity for cargo was being removed. Uh, we had the increase in PPE uh, mm -hmm. demands globally. And then eventually uh, we had the vaccines starting to, to move by air and mm -hmm. required capacity. So you had the passenger aircraft impact. And then secondly, nobody was traveling internationally. Uh, and those are, you know, those are the, the twin aisle aircraft, the wide body aircraft where yeah. we have a tremendous amount of freight capacity. And, uh, and that was just eliminated from the market. So we saw, you know, a double whammy, if you will, both on the, uh, the domestic side with the belly space and then our freighter capacity mm -hmm. get wiped out. How did uh, grounding all those planes affect, uh, I guess, the flow of parts and the need of parts? Did Were freight forwarders affected at all by what services that they were providing to the airlines? Uh, now that, I guess, I mean, I've had to ground a ton of these planes, I guess I have a bunch of spare parts lying around too. Was that something that airlines took advantage of? And did that impact forwarders at all? You know, at first, Chris, we thought there would be uh, more demand for maintenance, mm -hmm. uh, kind of as a preventative, Hey, I'm not flying my aircraft right now. So let's do preventative maintenance. That's going to be required, you know, in, in the next cycle, mm -hmm. we can do it now while these aircraft are available. Uh, that didn't happen either. Hmm. And their biggest reason was the airlines were bleeding money. Uh, you know, we had, uh, just an unprecedented drain on revenue. American Airlines, for example, you know, they reported that their revenue was down, you know, 90 percent over 2019. Yeah. Uh, everybody had, you know, seen Delta and United had their first losses in more than five years. Yeah. So they didn't have discretionary cash flow mm -hmm. to do maintenance. So we saw a as an industry, a, a downturn in flow of parts, not only for manufacture, uh, but then also certainly for maintenance. Yeah. Um, and there were some cases where some of the aircraft that were parked, uh, the parts were harvested, yeah. if you will. It makes sense. Uh, from yeah from those aircraft. So if uh, if an airline had aircraft parked and there were some great apps that were developed during this time frame to mm -hmm. so you could track what aircraft you had, where they were parked, how long, what maintenance was required. Mm -hmm. uh, but they could identify probably some of their older aircraft that were parked knowing that once we came out of the pandemic, chances are those aircraft may have a different life. And therefore let's take some of the usable parts like an aircraft engine, for right. example. So that was a, the term greenfield means you know, basically harvesting those usable engines yeah. off of a parked aircraft. So we saw engines coming off of some of those parked aircraft and being serviced and then put on other, other planes rather than leasing or buying new engines. So there was definitely a shift mm -hmm. uh, in some of the flows. And again, some of these parking locations, these deserts are not typically where engines go to and from. Mm -hmm. So that was a bit of a challenge for you know the, the logistics industry is yeah. being able to service those new lanes, basically. But we were able to do kind of account for that with new needs by the aviation industry. One of those was kind of fitting the passenger flights that were in operation. We were able to uh, supply 
the various parts like partitions and things like that. Could you talk a little bit more about what had to happen in order to um, make these planes a little bit safer for travel? Sure, Chris, a great question. And, and I know for myself, um, the, uh, you know, the, the big worry that I had was how close was I going to have to sit next to somebody if I was on a, a domestic flight? Right. And, uh, and, and a lot of our, the travelers um, around the world had the same concerns. So there was a, there was a, a, a jump on that kind of um, temporary uh, fix in a plane. Again, mm -hmm. you cannot just go down to your DIY store and pick up some plexiglass <laughs> and build a partition. <laughs> or a cabin Every filter or something like that for auto. For Absolutely. Auto like Everything yeah. has to be, uh, you know, approved by the, uh, the, for airworthiness, you mm -hmm. know, you're, you're adding weight to a plane, you've got safety issues. So uh, the industry was incredibly uh, quick to respond to those challenges. Mm -hmm. um, so we saw the increase in interior uh commodities being shipped like the the partitions mm -hmm. um, we saw a change in the uh, onboard catering uh, industry as well you know no more uh, liquor carts no more uh, fresh food available in mm -hmm. you know the typical economy class uh, you went to the small water bottle and some pretzels that was it <laughs> Right. Um, and then the the third and, and really, I think, significant change uh, that I believe is going to continue uh, is the conversion of some of these passenger aircraft either into semi or full cargo aircraft. Mm -hmm. So taking out uh, taking out some seats and in uh, changing that interior so cargo can be loaded into those aircraft. And we're seeing a continued spike in those kinds of passenger to freighter conversions mm -hmm. on smaller aircraft, large aircraft, very typical market, mm -hmm. small aircraft, brand new, uh, brand new business stream really for um, the MRO maintenance repair overhaul side mm -hmm. of the industry. Okay, so if there's a bunch of conversion happening for passenger flights to kind of turn into cargo planes, won't the capacity open back up again as, you know, the world's kind of getting more and more vaccinated and more flights are happening? Like, what are they going to do now with all this extra capacity? Well, that is a really good question, Chris. And I think it's still so uncertain. There was just a report I read this morning uh, that said, you know, is international travel ever going to come back? Mm. Uh, you know, it's every customer I talk to, every, you know, uh, associate out there that talks about, you know, when are they going to start up their international travel? It's very unknown. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I don't, I don't foresee a glut of capacity uh, because we've changed some of these passenger aircraft over to partial or, or full uh, cargo aircraft. Right. And on top of that, outside of the, the aviation industry, you know, like I do, what's happening on the ocean side of the industries. Yeah. And there is no ocean capacity available. Right. And that's not going to change either. So we're seeing it as a logistics providers, a tremendous flow of ocean cargo that's now air cargo. You mm -hmm. get a, a vessel stuck in a Suez Canal for weeks and everybody wants to get on uh, an airplane and move their uh, their freight, you know, to get to the customer in time. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, 
I don't see the uh, capacity, overcapacity uh, from the air freight side being uh, anything we're going to be worried about in the near term. Mm -hmm. uh, before we move on to a little bit more uplifting topic that I'll talk about in a sec here, uh, what is the process then for converting a passenger f uh, plane into uh, for cargo purposes? So a plane would be taken into a, an MRO shop, maintenance mm. repair overhaul shop. Uh, and there are many companies that specialize in the passenger to freighter conversion. And uh, you, your plane goes in, uh, the seats, bins be taken out, floor lighting may be removed. Mm -hmm. And uh, that creates an opportunity right there. Yeah. Where are you going to put that stuff? Right, exactly. I was going to ask, so, does it get, does it get yeah. binned or does it get stored off somewhere? It, it, we There are many different opportunities that pop up on the logistics side sure. you know, for the forwarding industry where how can we help our customers mm. uh, store this kind of interior equipment because in, in most cases they do hope to reuse it at some point yeah there is a there is a, a secondary market where uh companies that are air, airlines for example that buy used aircraft maybe a, a low-cost country or a low-budget airline they'll look for used parts mm -hmm. um so that's definitely a market but uh, most of the most of the people that we talk to today are talking about we need to put our interior equipment someplace in storage mm -hmm. uh, while we use the the uh, in the conversion uh, space inside. Sure. So once the uh, you know the traditional passenger uh, equipment is taken out of the interior plane, uh, then it's fitted with the uh, you know the cargo handling equipment inside. So yeah. it could be the interior walls, the the strapping equipment on the ground. Uh, so again, new flows into that MRO. Yeah. Uh, if you pardon the pun, you know, there's been a lot of movement in the automotive industry, uh, as I talked with Karen Kinsella about it, uh, with electrification. Um, what related developments have kind of taken flight with aviation? I think this is going to be the most exciting thing to happen in aviation mm. in our generation. I, I really do. And, and I have to say, I've, I've become a believer in the last year or and a half or so. Um, I, I had my doubts that, uh, <laughs> you know, that electric aircraft would play a play a big role. But um, I think COVID has is, is helped change the market mm -hmm. uh, or the appetite for it. And so what we're seeing are a tremendous number of startups, uh, as well as some of the, you know, the typical names, the big, you know, aircraft manufacturers, yeah. they're all interested in electric aircraft. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, I, I know I talk with, you know, my peers and uh, ask them, would you get on one? Would you get on electric aircraft? <laughs> um, and I, I would, I would, yeah. uh, I have, you know, enough faith in our, uh, the FAA and the processes that we go through uh, to make sure a plane is certified and having worked with the customers, um, I know the technology, the engineering, the investment that's being made in electric aircraft is tremendous. Mm -hmm. So um, it is, you know, it's being fueled by if you will, on the E pun, um, <laughs> but it's being fueled by a couple of things. Number one, uh, we, we've seen tremendous success in automotive. Mm. And I think the, the battery capacity uh, is a big, uh, big differentiator that really we didn't know that the technology would be able to 
uh, would exist to this extent, even a couple of years ago. So we have, uh, you know, we have the fuel sensitivity, therefore the E uh, aircraft uh, definitely have the fuel efficiency. Um, and we're also seeing a lot of emphasis on, you know, they have to be shorter routes. You're not going to fly internationally on a battery, but we're seeing the batteries become lighter. um, And therefore, you know, the, the distance that these electric aircraft are are able to travel Mm -hmm. um, will, will be greater. So right now the projection is 440 uh, miles on a, on a, route for an electric aircraft is about what you you'll see most of the industry folks talking about. Mm-hmm. So there's that side of it for us as passengers. But the other side that's also occurring in this e-space is on delivery aircraft. So the, on the, the delivery side of the industry, mm-hmm. we're looking at how do we get things to, you know, the end user faster. Uh, and that may be your e-commerce. It might be your logistics provider that needs to get the deliveries to their customer faster. And uh, so definitely these smaller, uh, lighter, fuel efficient aircraft um, are are going to help fill that need. Yeah, absolutely. It almost, um, and, I, and I see too, like, the shorter routes that you're talking about from the passenger side, I'm thinking like if we were to look at commercial flights as like Greyhound buses, this is almost like a taxi. You can replace those smaller prop planes and stuff with, with uh, EA or electric aircraft. Um, the other thing too, I'm thinking of is does this affect the trucking industry at all? Oh, absolutely. This will affect trucking. But again, I think we're talking about, you know, in, in, our, in my opinion, yeah. it'll affect trucking because we, now we have a, a competitor, Right. And be another source of supply to get those goods delivered. But the thing is, we've, you know, COVID showed we're all very happy, Mm -hmm. you know, with our shopping online. And uh, so, uh, again, I'm not sure if you want to get behind me in the TSA line, but I predict that that trend is not going to ease up. Mm. I've talked to, again, a lot of my peers and they're ordering their groceries. They're doing all of their um, shopping online and they can plan to continue to do that once COVID is over. So the, the delivery capacity that the electric aircraft will provide uh, is just going to be, it's going to be needed to keep those uh, that supply chain uh, and the faster expectations that we've had, Mm -hmm. you know, keep those fulfilled. I mean, you think about uh, you know, what we, and, you know, expected pre-COVID, you know, if I order something today online, I'm going to get it tomorrow. Mm-hmm. That really changed during COVID. Yeah. You know, there were driver shortages, uh, certainly, but there was a lot more uh, demand. And so we, we need more uh, capacity to yeah. smooth out that demand. So yeah. I think that that's where the, uh, the electric uh, aircraft are going to help fit in, fill in that space. What does the manufacturing look like for electric aircraft? And I imagine, I don't know, for some reason, when I when I think of electric vehicles, I'm always thinking of startups. And startups are new players in, in this massive, massive space, right? Airlines have been around for a very long time. Um, how does manufacturing work for them and the flow of goods needed for that? Uh, could you explain a little bit more, like help me understand what that it looks like? Uh, you know, we have a saying in our team that on the startup side, um, 
that our, you know, our customers don't know what they don't know. So I mentioned earlier, <laughs> sure. you know, these, the startups, the, the folks are brilliant. Mm-hmm. You know, I've had an opportunity to attend some conferences, you know, pre COVID with some great um, high tech minds uh, in this um, uh, UAV and, and electric vehicle or electric aircraft space. And, you know, they're brilliant technically. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're as, but what they don't have is a real depth of logistics, global logistics knowledge, sure. and even uh, and even to a high degree uh, compliance. And you know, I'll tell you from my experience, ten years ago when I first got into the aviation industry, and I talked to customers and you know and tried to influence them on the need for compliance, it really wasn't something that. Uh, played a, a high role in smaller companies. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, everybody has a question about how do I make sure my supply chain is compliant, mm-hmm. whether it's with government agencies, uh, risk of theft, uh, fraudulent goods. There's a high degree of concern and attention to compliance. So when we talk to some of these newer uh, high-tech startups, you know, electric aircraft, for example, mm-hmm. um, they'll tell us, you know, we don't know what we don't know when it comes to this stuff. So yeah. we, they need providers that are highly experienced in global trade policy and customs uh, parts classifications in customs brokerage, uh, duty, uh, importer of record documentation, uh, they need a full service provider. And, uh, and it's, I think it's kind of cool to the industry that in, I would say 90% of the cases, you know, the price is not number one mm-hmm. on their list of concerns when they're talking to a provider, potential provider, they really want to know that you have a deep understanding of logistics and compliance and how are you going to help them? How can you walk them through this process? They know how to build the aircraft. Mm -hmm. They know how to source the parts. Uh, And, and even though we've seen a lot of startups, you know, in the U S on the electric uh, aircraft space, uh, still the parts are being made at some of your traditional uh, OEMs. Oh, okay. And yeah. yeah, so, you know, they're assembling them, you know, someplace in the U.S., sure. but you're seeing traditional shipments from Germany and France, a lot from Mexico, some from Asia. Uh, so you still have, they definitely need that global support from gotcha. uh, a very deeply experienced aviation or, you know, freight forwarder. Mm. So there is some kind of relationship between startups and you know, like a uh, legacy OEM. I, th- I think I've heard uh, you refer to them as, or just like more traditional uh, airline manufacturers, their startups are kind of bringing in the big ideas and the big money, uh, but they're using existing suppliers out there to kind of repurpose these parts or just kind of shape them in a different way that kind of meets the electric aircraft needs. Absolutely. We see the traditional uh, wing manufacturers, for okay. example, yeah. those uh, it's a great example where, you know, they're used to making, you know, a wing for a propulsion, uh, you know, a traditional propulsion uh, aircraft. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they have that experience, uh, maybe a s- bit smaller wing than they're going to make now for an electric aircraft. Sure. But um, yeah, so you are seeing those suppliers involved. But the complexity comes in 
again, for these startups is, well, if I buy from, you know, this traditional OEM, what, what terms of sale should I be requesting? What's my responsibility mm-hmm. as the exporter, the importer, you know, what's a, what's an importer of record? Why do I have to, you know, declare it uh, as, you know, a, uh, an aircraft wing uh, versus, you know, an airplane part. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. They don't, as I said, they don't know what they don't know. So uh, they really are always asking for the guidance of an experienced logistics provider. Mm-hmm. You know, another super hot, space of recent growth right now has been the aerospace industry. Um, And I imagine there's a lot of similarities with aviation, but how do they differ enough to make them their own unique vertical? The, uh, as we talked at the top of the podcast, you know, for both of us, space is so exciting. It is really cool. (laughs) Yeah. I think it was just earlier this week that uh, Jeff Bezos announced, you know, he wants to be, you know, a part of the crew on, uh, on a blue origin launch. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's in the headlines every day. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, the big difference in 2020, uh, commercial versus space was, you know, COVID didn't have that big of an effect from a opportunity basis in space. You know, we still were launching satellites, low earth orbit satellites. We all wanted actually probably more. So we wanted our internet Mm -hmm. uh, to be working fast and furiously because we're all working from home. Mm -hmm. So, Space uh, didn't see the same kind of downturn that the commercial aviation market saw mm-hmm. during COVID. So that's probably the biggest um, difference. And then what else we see is the the pace at also startups in the space side of the industry as well. You have you know your top ten space companies are still. If you look at them, you could probably name seven of them mm-hmm. right off the top. There, there are the traditional uh, aircraft manufacturers, uh, but they have a space division. Okay, but yeah. we're seeing more and more of the startups in the space side of things as well. So, you know, one of the examples of uh, of a startup in space, uh, I'm not sure if you've heard of it, Chris, but there it was advertised during the Super Bowl. Mm. And I, I noticed it was called four, the number four, four inspiration. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. you've heard of it. Yeah. And uh, I remember when I saw that, I, I don't know what that's about. I quickly pulled out my iPad and <laughs> I Googled it. And uh, you could sign up uh, to try and become a crew member. So this mm-hmm. is the goal is the this will be the first um, commercial or all civilian, I should say, mission to space. Mm-hmm. And uh, the the founder of this project is 38 year old guy named Jared Isaacman. Um, he founded a company called Shift for Payments. Mm-hmm. Um, he's also an accomplished pilot and he's a big adventurer. Uh, and he, he's doing this obviously for uh, you know the focus on space, uh, but his main focus is uh, St. Jude's Children's Hospital. Oh, sure. uh, he's trying to bring awareness to you know St. Jude's in particular, and and continue to support the funding for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know his uh, his crew 
are three besides himself, three other uh, civilians. None of them are astronauts. Uh, one woman was actually a patient at St. Jude's when she was younger. Wow. Uh, and she is now a physician's assistant mm-hmm. at St. Jude's. Um, there's a scientist and there's a, another entrepreneur. Um, so, you know, this is how I think the space industry is going to continue to grab our attention uh, because we are, you know, we're trying to make it much more relatable, uh, you know, constantly talking about STEM in our schools for our kids. So, um, so you're going to see a a lot more on the space growth uh, in the future. Aerospace has its uh, specific needs. It's a lot of high value stuff as well. Um, I know that the parts, the machinery, the the probes, the landers—they're all created in like uh, in like very clean environments, and you need to be able to transport that safely somehow. Uh, so that requires a lot of attention, and that's where you know forwarders come in because we you know, generally have a lot of expertise in this kind of space. How have forwarders and logistics providers helped with the growth of the space industry? Things that we've seen in this area, uh, number one, I said, you, you need to be global. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, you know, the days of a very small forwarder footprint just uh, doesn't support the space industry in particular. And, and you know, one of the main reasons is you look at where these launches take place, mm-hmm. they have to, we have to have the flexibility of getting the cargo to so many points around the world mm-hmm. um, for the launches is a big part of it. Um, then you have to have, you know, the, um, the capacity to support the market, um, which is, uh, you know, very challenging, you know, given what we are experiencing right now uh, with the, you know, the impact from the ocean freight going over to ocean or to air. But with the, the space industry, the, the schedules are so tight. Yeah. You don't have the flexibility to miss the flight and catch the one, you know, in two days. Mm-hmm. You have to have extremely tight control over the capacity, the service providers, you know, the uh, documentation. And if you don't have uh, a very thorough project planning capability, mm-hmm. um, you're just not going to be successful in the in supporting the space side of things. Absolutely. So then how, so where, where do we come in then with our, with uh, freight forwarder services and such uh, to help with that? Well, um, the, the space industry in particular, uh, we've seen, you know, mentioned number a few minutes ago, number one, um, they're not as concerned about cost as they are about qualification. Mm. That I would say is the number one criteria when we're talking to the space industry, you know, mind you, you always have to pass the red face test in our business, <laughs> sure. but it is about your capability to to move uh, an, an oversized piece of equipment. Do you have the project planning capabilities? Can you move something that's going to need over the road permits? How do you even know it needs over the road permits? You need to have that that global uh, you know project cargo kind of capacity. You need right, to be right. able to um, have theft deterrent uh, on your cargo. Um, we have one customer that you know, requires that everything has a live tracking device uh, because it's so sensitive. Yeah. They want to have, you know, it's not good enough just to have GPS on the truck. They want every item to be tracked 
because it's that um, that sensitive, that valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, somebody that has that kind of capability and, and not all of your freight forwarders are going to have that. And then, as I mentioned, you know, the trade consulting, uh, the parts classification uh, is it, and really it needs to be considered upstream. Uh, because you can have some significant cost impact if you don't understand the the duty, uh, the the fee implications uh, before you start sourcing. Yeah. You know, we worked with a customer earlier this year that brought parts in um, from around the world, and their terms of sale put the tax burden on them. They didn't know that. So I guarantee the next time they they go to bid on the manufacture of a of a project for space, um, they'll be much better educated. And and that's that's the kind of entry that's really important to the industry. If you if you know, yes, as as logistics providers, we definitely want to sell you something, but (laughs) in a lot of cases, we're really trying to help you avoid risk, uh, avoid excessive costs and uh, and do it do it right the first time yeah because we need to see those rockets get up there that's right <laughs> yeah yeah i didn't i didn't win one of the seats on yeah. the four inspiration but <laughs> I, I i've already ordered my my four inspiration gear i should have worn the shirt today you'd be impressed yeah <laughs> this is so fun to learn about and just to see how quickly things are changing and and where they're where they're going towards it's, this is super exciting space and uh you have got to be one of the luckiest people and expeditors to be to be doing something so cool. <laughs> thanks, Chris. Thanks to you. Thanks to uh, our, you know, our team. And most importantly, thanks to the customers that we had the, the, the fun time supporting. Mm-hmm. And uh, I really look forward to getting to know uh, more of the, uh, the players in uh, the airspace and aviation industry. So thanks again for your support. Yeah, absolutely. And if people wanted to get into contact with you, where is the place to go to, uh, to get discussion started? Re.burner, B-E-R-N-E-R. <laughs> at expediters.com uh also on linkedin uh and certainly any expediters office just ask get in touch with the aviation team and they will point you in my direction perfect well thank you again so much for your time i really appreciated talking to you about this thanks chris thanks for listening to today's episode if you've got questions or want to learn more about today's topic check out the show notes for more information And before you go, make sure you're subscribed on whatever podcast app you're using so you won't miss the next episode. To learn more about Expediters, you can find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or simply visit us at expediters.com. Take care, and I'll see you next time.